Nancy is. Um, so I, when I went to seminary, I was called a third career student, uh, which was a little bit of a joke because it was, uh, people at seminary who were over 40, they just assumed you had done at least two things before you made it to seminary. And in fact, I had, I had worked in the finance industry doing commercial real estate lending, uh, for many years. And then, so that was career number one. And then career number two, I was the development director for a nonprofit in Baltimore called the Institute for Christian and Jewish Studies. And it's now called the Institute for Islamic Christian and Jewish Studies. And it was partially because of that experience um, working in the area of religious education that I felt called to seminary to become a priest. So I worked in retail for 14 years. Um, for the majority of that time, I sold high-end jewelry. I worked for Saks Fifth Avenue in a Swiss company called Chopard. Um, and during that time, I was also the organist and choir director of my home church for 14 years in Dorchester. Um, so what brought me to the priesthood? There's uh, a lot of answers to that question. Um, one answer is it's the family business. So, uh, my father, grandfather, and great-grandfather were all ordained. Um, but I think for me personally, um, seeing so much pain in the world and going through the death of a close friend really made me realize that, you know, get on this, Christopher, and wanting to bring healing to the world in the best way that I knew how to do it was through that. I'll go, because I know my favorite Bible story. Um, so, well, there's many favorites, but one of my very favorite Bible stories is when Moses was, Moses was had, had had a very exotic life, but he was finally married, and he was tending uh, sheep for his father-in-law. And he really thought that his life was going smoothly and 
predictably at that point. And God called him and said, oh no, I'm sending you to Egypt to free all of the, the slaves who are, have been enslaved by Pharaoh. And Moses, of course, says, well, I don't really know how to do that. I don't have the skills. I don't have the words for that. And God says, don't worry, I'll give them to you. So that call, that call to Moses, who sort of thought his life had been figured out, I think I, you know, because of the answer to the first question, right, I feel, um, I, I relate a lot to that story. Um, so I don't necessarily, I like them all. <laughs> um, I, I, but the one that, that comes to my head, I don't know why right now, but the one that comes to my head right now is um, there's a woman accused of adultery, and they decide to follow the law and to stone her and to kill her, and they bring her outside, and Jesus is just sitting out there, and you can imagine all of this, like, um, screaming and shouting and all of that, and what's he doing? He's just, like, looking down, writing in the dirt, you know? And they, they look to Jesus and they say, Teacher, what do you say? And he says, Okay, let the person without sin throw the first stone. And he just goes back to writing down there. And then everybody leaves. And he looks up and he says to the woman, Is there nobody left? And she says, No. And he says, Well, neither do I condemn you. And I, uh, I just think that's so beautiful. And that came to my head, just this sort of Jesus being Jesus, no matter what's going on, and the love coming through everything. I, I love to knit and I love to cook. I'm trying to think of something you all don't know. Um, so cooking, and I love cooking for the people that I love. And I love to knit, and I love to knit things for the people that I love. And I like to spend time with the people that I love. So those are kind of three things. Yeah. So what he said, I also love to knit and love to cook, and that's probably why we get along. Yeah, absolutely. I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> I like the humor. I like the fight of good against evil, and you know, uh, reminds me of being in college and uh, a very good TV show. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, that's a hard one. Sure. Actually. Thank you. Yeah, so um, many of you, or some of you know, I don't actually have a television. Um, when we were growing up, uh, one day my dad came home from work, and we were watching, the three of us were watching TV, and he walked through the den, and none of us looked over and said hello. And the next thing we knew, that TV was out in the garage, never to return ever again. So um, it, was, it, was, um, it was hard when we were little. But as an adult, because I didn't grow up having a TV around all the time, like I don't immediately think of TV. I do watch movies on on um, on my computer, but I'm not I'm not up on like what what people are watching. I will say when we first were in lockdown for the pandemic, my daughter Anna came to stay with me um, so that we weren't 
by ourselves that we decided that we would watch The Wire. I don't know if any of you all have watched The Wire, but it's a wonderful show that was um, just incredibly well done. And of course, it's about Baltimore, where I come from. And so we said, well, surely by the time we've watched all the episodes of The Wire, the pandemic will be over. So we watched seasons one through three, and, and she said, we're not watching season four until the pandemic is over. So it took a very long time to get to season four. <laughs> anyway, that's a favorite. So I I think one of the ways of explaining Jesus having to die is that God had to participate in everything that it meant to be human. In order to bring life and salvation to us, all of the human experience had to be lived by Jesus. Um, There's a a Christian thinker from the 4th century uh, who says, whatever isn't assumed is not saved, and whatever is assumed is saved. And so all of us experience death. Everything dies. And to break death's hold over us, God had to experience that death as well in the person of Jesus. Yeah, I mean, thank you, Krista. That was uh, not that quick on my feet. Um, but I did read something this week that said, in line with what Christopher said, that, that Jesus' death was in solidarity with us. You know, it's not in judgment of us. It's in solidarity with all of us. And I, that, really, that really stuck with me. So to your point, he had to experience everything um, that we human creatures experience. My friend has a podcast called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. So if you ever listen to that podcast, they do a close reading. And I think um, it has been a book that a lot of people have taken spiritual meaning out of. And I I wouldn't just limit it to, to, to Harry Potter. I mean, all of the fiction that we can read teaches us about who we want to be how we want to live with each other, what our values should be. And for me, those are very spiritual things. And then we can go beyond that and sort of connect it with our own faith and how does it help sharpen our own faith. I'm sure I could give you many different examples. Um, Professor Umbridge, you know, standing up for what you believe in, standing up for what's right, even at a cost, uh, is one example. Yeah. 
yeah, the field of religion and literature is a huge field of academic study. And it's so interesting. That's sufficient. Yeah. All right, our last question I don't, I don't think about God as an old guy with a white beard, but I do, I, I do have conversations with God. And so, if I'm having a conversation with you, Julia, I see you as an embodied person who I'm having a conversation with. So I guess I must have some image of, of who it is I'm speaking to. Um, But I couldn't draw you a picture. Does that make sense? But there's a relational, but there's a relational aspect to it that is really um, is really important. I, I had a conversation with somebody this week, and somebody who has very, very, very deep faith. And I said to her that I, you know, I'm so blessed by being in her presence because her her faith is so good. I said, well, my my faith a lot of times feels a little more gritty in the sense that I have a lot of, you know, seriously, you know, um, conversations with, as I refer to him, often refer to him as the big guy or the lady upstairs, you know, and so, and, and, and this person said to me, oh, well, I have those conversations all the time. You know, so it's not, so I think this idea that, that the important piece for me is that even if I'm angry, even if I'm having doubts, I know who I'm arguing with. Sometimes I think of God as sort of a force, you know, as in the idea not God is loving, but God is love, and love is God, and thinking of that. But the other thing that I really love to do is I love going through our tradition for mental images of God. And God is presented in many different ways. Um, we were talking about Moses earlier in the Exodus. What if we think of God as a, a, a pillar of fire? Or a cloud, you know. What if we use that visual image? One of my um, favorite images of God comes from the prophets, where God is described as a fierce mother bear protecting her children. I love that image, you know. And our our tradition is so full of images that we don't take advantage of. And so, visually, imaginatively, I like trying to go through and recover some of those things. <laughs> 